1.45 million subscribers on YouTube. What makes a viral video? 30 second out of context clip from a main video, which got way less views than that, the TikTok stuff. The, the way that algorithm is set up is just like, you, you can go viral off anything. Zach Orsop is a YouTuber and he's probably best known for sneaking into the press conference of Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. He's also been known for taking very exotic animals like foxes to luxury hotels. I'm here not really to talk about his content, but talk about the business behind being a YouTuber. Be happy, never content, and definitely subscribe to the channel. Before we start this week's podcast, I have to give a special mention to our sponsors. iSecure Vehicles. They are a brilliant company, a family-run business, and they specialize in vehicle safety and security throughout the UK. I know this company very well, and I also know the people behind the brand. If you've been following me on my podcast journey and on social media, you will know that I love cars and so does my network. This is why I'm very, very excited to be working with iSecure Vehicles, and this is why we have chosen them to be our sponsors for the Stephen Sully Study Podcast. Their team are professionals, experts, and they're efficient. Once their product is installed on your car, your vehicles, you will have the peace of mind that your asset is protected. Trust me, do not wait until it's too late. Get protection now. For more information about their products, including dash cameras, undetected immobilizers, and also car tracking systems, head over to isecure dash vehicles.co.uk and remember to mention the Stephen Sully study podcast sent you right welcome back to my podcast the Stephen Sully study here at Woodbury House Mayfair we've got a really really good guest in front of me a man that it's been some time we've been speaking now Zach a little bit, about yeah. this particular uh, uh, particular podcast interview so thank you very much for investing your time coming down and walking through our gallery first first of all zach yeah what did you think of woodbury house the art gallery it's huge <laughs> it's, it's very very impressive like we started talking because i was doing a video on the art world and then my research took me to to you and that's how we got chatting i was just dipping a toe in but i i didn't know what i expected walking in but yeah this is my type of stuff I mean, I don't know much about it, but we just had a conversation about these pieces. It's fascinating. Yeah. What a world you're in. Do you know what? Like, this is going to sound a bit arty farty, but this is just 10, almost 10 I, years. I of, love it. Roll like, it on me. <laughs> it's just almost 10 years experience now. I really, really feel with art, you've got the two elements. You've got your first initial reaction, mm. and that could be good. That could be bad. That could actually be, I'm a bit unsure about it. But I almost guarantee you the second element is the education. Once you get educated and exposed to the information, the history, the narrative behind the pieces and the artist, more importantly, yeah. and the culture, guarantee you nine times out of 10, it shapes your, uh, your taste buds. Yeah, and I think it's an easy one to, to put your guard up about because it does seem arty-farty, a bit wanky. It's the, it's the world that, like, if you don't know much about it, it's hard to distinguish and get that value from, yeah, like you said, the stories. But I've actually become quite good friends with um, an artist this year just by just by chance. And he's a sort of, um, he's 
the way he articulates sort of the story and he paints from life and he goes to crazy places to paint. He, he's yeah. painted on like uh, volcanoes in Iceland on the front line of Ukraine. Like the way he talks about art has got me way more invested in art. And um, okay. I find that interesting because before I was sort of like, you know, y your surface level Banksy fanboy, I'd call myself. But now I'm like, you know, yeah, the story is what, what sort of makes it, so. I was gonna say actually, Zach, it's not Banksy, you know, is it? <laughs> what, me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never tell you. No, I, I mean, I'm from, um, I'm from Somerset. So I think it's a, you know, you, you sort of grow up, you see it. I have an interesting story about Banksy and how I nearly became an owner of a piece of Banksy. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, if you grow up near Bristol, you're gonna automatically be a fan. Yeah. Um, to which I am. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, do you want the story about Banksy now? Of course, we got it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it would be yeah. weird not to talk about it. So I, I grew up doing a lot of motocross. So I, from the age of four, I was on um, dirt bikes. My dad gave me a choice. It was either football or spending weekends doing motocross. He was dead into his bikes, could never afford it as a kid. So he sort of, uh, you know, started his own business, then, you know, bought us these first little tiny bikes, little 50cc bikes. Mm -hmm. um, we used to ride them around this quarry in our local area, this big disused, like shut off from the world quarry. It was like massive, like acres and acres of just like space to ride bikes around. Cliffs, all sorts of dodgy shit, but it was like a good place to get to learn how to like use a bike. Um, we were going there for, for probably the good, good part of eight years. And we had been playing on this car, um, throwing stones at it, jumping on the roof when we were having a little break, just like, fucking around with this car and it was painted like a zebra. So um, years go by and we've got the Banksy Wallen, I can't remember what the book's called, his first book full of all his pieces. And um, we flick to it and we, we see the car that we've been playing on as children in the book. And we're like, hang on a minute, I know where that is. So my brother, the blabbermouth, goes around his mate's house and he tells his mate that he'd found this Banksy car and his dad overheard him. So his dad went that night to the quarry with a load of tools, stripped the car apart, robbed the doors, the bonnet, everything off it, and he auctioned them all off. Dude. So I could have been an owner of a Banksy, Banksy car from an early age. You could but, be sitting um, on tens of millions of pounds right tens now. Tens of millions, yeah. The thing is about it, I, and I can't be mad at this, he auctioned it off for charity, so I kind of rate that. Thing. But um, I, there's this part of me that really wants to find a door when I'm older and sort of a bit more well achieved and could probably afford the crazy price and, uh, and have it on my wall in a future house. Well, just around off this conversation about art, I mean, this is, um, this is one big element of the art market. People are buying it because they adore it. They mm. like the artist, they like the style, they like the history, they like the narrative. But also, especially in today's climate, art has become an area where people are preserving their money. Yeah. And if you buy the right artists, such as Banksy's or anyone affiliated, yeah. you can make some really, really good returns over time. Yeah. Um, Zach Allsop, thank you very much. This has been a long introduction for, for coming <laughs> onto the podcast. So as I said before we kicked off, yeah, I'm interested in your content and yeah, I do want to talk about some, some of the viral videos, et cetera, and, and what makes a good viral video. Yeah. But I do like, the business behind it. Mm. Um, I've interviewed a few quote unquote YouTubers, content creators, mostly from the car world. Yeah. That is because one, I've got a passion for cars and two, done the Gumball Rally 
about a year and a bit ago and just so happened that most of the people on there were yeah, were, yeah. were, were YouTubers. <laughs> um, question. Mm. What makes a viral video? Oh, fucking hell. I think, it, I think it's changed over time. I think when I was first interested in YouTube, it was anything, to me anyway, it was over a million views and you've gone viral, it's gone crazy. And I remember being a 14 year old with my mate Ben and we used to talk about, um, oh man, imagine if we had like a viral video, just like a million views, that'd be absolutely unfathomable, that amount of people. But the way YouTube is today, I think it's just, is any video that breaks out of your audience and is an outlier. So that can, it doesn't necessarily mean getting press, but I think virality comes from like a, a WhatsApp group effect. If you're getting it, a video or a piece of content shared in the boys' WhatsApp, everyone's like, you gotta see this, you gotta see that. That's viral, because that's spreading in its own accord. Whereas something that just grows naturally on the platform, probably at a slower pace, to me isn't viral, because you're being served it through an algorithm. So for me, vi true virality is when it goes wild. And we've had a few crazy ones um, on TikTok, on YouTube, but I think that's just because they've, you know, been shared so much between friends ultimately. Yeah. yeah. When you say crazy ones on, let's say TikTok, mm. what are you talking about? What sort of numbers? TikTok, um, I think we've done about 30, 40 mil in one, one video, nice. <laughs> which is nuts because it's just a, 30 second out of context clip from a main video, which got way less views than that. So we've cut up um, one video, which was taking dangerous animals into pet friendly Ubers. And we, we spliced that into like five different TikToks. The snake one, uh, right? The snake one, we had a penguin, skunk. Um, what else do we have? Alligator. So we, we cut that all down into individual bits and I think in total probably did about 70, 70 million views. Yeah. How much does, um, again, we're going to go onto the content and the ideas behind it and the execution, but how much does like the actual business, the infrastructure behind all that have mm. an effect on making a viral video? So I think you, like, for example, can you pay for like sponsored posts and stuff? Does that actually work? No, I wouldn't say that's, I'd say that's the opposite of viral. If you're having to pay for reach, which a lot of brands end up having to do when they make a few, a lot of brands don't really understand the YouTube landscape. So they end up spunking 50 to 100 grand on a shoot with plugging in different influencers and people. And they're surprised when a piece of content won't, you know, reach an audience and start performing because ultimately if it, if it doesn't appease the algorithm and what that wants, it will just flop and die. So from my perspective, um, you just need resource. For the ideas that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to pull off sort of your viral concepts every every month. So you need resource for that. You need, you know, time to be able to spend a lot of the time we're waiting for stuff to happen or, you know, there's a lot of stuff outside of our control. So you need, you need time, you need resource. I couldn't have done what I'm doing four years ago because I just didn't have the same amount of resource in the company. So yeah, um, definitely helps for what I'm doing. But you also the, the TikTok stuff, the, the way that algorithm is set up is just like you, you can go viral off anything with an iPhone clip recording mm. anything you see in the street. So mm. it's changed. It's changed. The um, part of the reason why I asked you about TikTok specifically, I'm on there, but yeah. um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not uh, the same sort of level as you. 
I have got a video on there, 9.6 yeah. million. There we go. Which is okay for a little podcaster, what, right, in Mayfair. What was it? So my top three videos, mm-hmm. the 9.6 was with a guy called Kevin, Kevin Hines. It's a bit of a sad one. Right. Kevin came onto my podcast because years back, he tried to commit suicide or take his own life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and he survived. And the yeah. reason why that is such a... Um, heart pulling topic is obviously anyone trying to take their life that's very very sad but he defined all the odds yeah i think one percent survive or five percent survive the jump from the golden gate bridge i know only five percent of the five percent come out unscathed which he was that yeah and even mad even worse still i mean like talking about it now it's just like a a really really mad conversation we had he hit the water Mm. I think this shark is shark infested as well in San Francisco. So as he went down wow. feet, he didn't break anything, but at, the, at that point he felt, because he said even the moment he left, his fingertips left the, 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 the Golden Gate Bridge aside, he instantly regretted it and wished really? he could reverse it. And as he was on the way down, it was like he was having like inner chat, managed to spin and sort of hit the water fairly in a decent way. So it didn't like shatter him yeah. into pieces. But as he went down, because it was so cold, he it, it was almost like he felt like he had broke something, so he couldn't really swim. Yeah. And then he looked, and he saw this black object coming towards him, oh and he knew it was shark-infested waters. It started circulating him, and he was like, this is in his head. He's like, I've just jumped, <laughs> I've survived, Jeez. and now I'm going to get eaten by a shark. And anyway, as, it, as, as he started getting closer to the top, he realized it was a sea lion. It saved him. You're joking. So it circulated because he knew he was panicking. And as he got onto the rescue boat, he, they all looked and this sea lion just swam off. Oh my God. Mad, isn't it? I mean, that's no wonder that's done <laughs> 10, 10 mil views. Yeah. That's insane. So 9.6 on, on him. And then my, I had 3 million from, uh, do you know Johnny Fisher? Yeah. Bosch. Bosch. Well, I, I got him to do it, all the different variations of boss. And people in Dubai were sending me videos going, really? I've just seen this. <laughs> and then the, the last one was with a guy, a footballer called um, Isaac Hayden. Mm. I asked him who's to go, Messi or Ronaldo. And yeah. that, that done, I think, three and a, three and a half or so something. You know, you, know your, you know your stuff. You're, you're setting people up. You know, you're getting yeah. those bits out of them. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, there's no wonder those have done well yeah, because I, that's gold. It's, it's obviously the right questions and that comes over time. And I think it's asking the questions with the right pace. I yeah. feel like you're interviewing me now. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, it's, it's having the right company who can cut the, 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 the shorts out yeah. and, 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 and d- deliver it in the right way. So, mm. okay, yeah, that's what I was interested in. But then you go to another platform and I feel like Instagram hates me. Mm. I really do. Yeah. I feel like we've got a problem. Yeah. Like, I really do feel like Mark Zuckerberg and his <laughs> warriors, you know, from his company just don't like what I do on there. Yeah. Like TikTok does. I, d- I can't really explain it. Well, it's why, why is it's that? bizarre. I am having the same thing from TikTok to YouTube. Same, it's the same short form content. On TikTok, it'll do multiple, like tens of millions of views. And then you go to YouTube, same video like nothing I like won't yeah. even get over 10k views and we yeah. had that struggle for the last like three months and four weeks ago we didn't have anything in the pipeline and I said we're going to spend the next two weeks figuring this shit out and we've um, 
we found out what works on shorts for our content. Here's the thing, it's like, yeah. it varies based on the content, based on the audience, based on the platform. So for us, it was uh, TikTok out of context moments do well. It's like you you open something, you might see a guy, aka me with a, with a penguin getting in an Uber, you're hooked that way, that worked on that platform, and then you were in then. But with YouTube, people wanted more narrative from me. Which makes sense. My audience is built off of um, narrative storytelling. It's a lot of voiceover. It's a lot of like mm. bringing people on the journey. So a lot of handheld in, holding with voiceover so people know where they're at immediately. That was the difference for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I don't yeah. know what it is for you, but... It's, it's a frustrating thing because I feel like the, the YouTube, sorry, podcasts... I mean it has worked I mean I, I have seen a bit of a slowdown on TikTok but then a few of the videos are taken off again mm. and I feel like that the podcast structure works yeah if you put out the right clips yeah but then it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work on Instagram but some of them have actually done well occasionally but then I got a friend of mine who doesn't do podcasts but he does kind of let's call it mentorship, let's call it life coaching, let's call it a bit of advice. Yeah. He's a business person, successful. He'll do talking into the camera, directly into the camera. Yeah. Quite sort of direct, at times very, you know, hits hits home a message which can be perceived as kind of, yeah, I just think that just says that how it is, like black yeah. and white information. That on TikTok hasn't done so great for him. Maybe half a million views he's got on his top video. Yeah. But on Instagram, he flies, totally flies. And I'm like, hey, it's, it's, I just, it's I, a half of me, think, it turns you into a bit of a conspiracy theorist because half of you thinks that, well, are they just, because they're competing, yeah. are they then prioritizing different stuff and trying to get you to, I don't know. It, for me, it, it was just experimentation. So we put out, I think like 20 videos over the last like six months of which I'd say 15 did terribly. And then we just sort of chatted to other people who were killing it they sort of gave a couple of like nuggets of wisdom then we applied it to ours tested again and first it was just like a lot of testing <laughs> and you can always delete <laughs> delete the failures unlist them try yeah. again but one thing i would say across the board is hook like a hook grabbing people in that moment whether it's i don't know the, the story of the golden gate bridge for example like having a title to to, to people subconsciously know a bit of text on screen survivor story or something um, might work for TikTok or it could be like an opening line which is just bizarre and would grab you that way so mm. whether it's long form on YouTube or short form on TikTok we always try and open a curiosity gap so an example would be um, I got I did a video where I got Uber Eats delivered to random locations to see like whether they'd do it into the middle of a, a crazy big maze, into an active courtroom full of actors. Um, and the one which went crazy on YouTube recently was in a, I was in an island in the middle of a lake. So I was in, that, up yeah. in Ali Pali and that did like 10 million views. And, and we just, uh, the first opening question was, um, can I get my food delivered to the middle of a lake? you know if you're interested in that you're going to stick around to find out the result and and the platforms regardless of what they are they like when people watch to the end mm. so that means it's you know you're gripping people to the end mm. so we we open up a curiosity gap to which they have to watch the rest to answer mm. so that could be good for your you know the, the mm. clips is like um having part of the question that will tee up the the response and at least then people people are hooked yeah but it's um 
it's no different to kind of, I guess, like retail, right? Like if you've got like a sports brand, for example, you've got the products, you know, the yeah. product is really, really good and people are going to benefit from it and enjoy it. Mm. But it's about exposing that product to the people. But you can show someone the product. It's not necessarily going to go go and try it on or even test it out. But when there is a curious question around it, it's almost like it makes it relatable and they want to sort yeah. of know the answer to it and, and, and go off and consume your content or try and train yeah. us, for example. And, and you ultimately, you're competing with, everyone's asking for attention. Like that is the, the name of the game these days. You log onto YouTube on a, on a PC, there's, there's literally like 20 videos in front of your eyes and it's whatever one is packaged in the best way. It's whatever one like brings you curiosity and, and, and YouTube especially is going to serve people what they want to see. So they are, you know, you have to understand the algorithm is working in your favor, but then it's up to you to, yeah. to grab them in a certain way. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to circle back to this very conversation because you said something earlier, which I picked up on and, I, and I've, stored it in my mind i'm going to come mm -hmm. back to it i think it's important because it's something that i didn't really think about when i first started doing the podcast in but, yeah but now definitely am 1.45 million subscribers on youtube yeah yeah <laughs> so one point this is the tiktok moment right? <laughs> 1.45 million subscribers on youtube does that make you famous zach Allsop? um I guess so, yeah. But it feels like a bit of a dirty word, um, the whole fame shtick. The thing is with YouTube, it's very spread across the world as well. So if you do, um, if you've got one million followers in the UK, example would be like a Love Islander, that's quite a focused audience. Whereas, you know, my biggest audience is in the US, then it's the UK, Australia, and then across Europe. And then we're talking like 2% here, 2% there. So, you know, it's very spread. So does it, does, do I feel famous? Not, not really. I get asked for a few photos every now and then, but I guess I'm known on the internet, not in real, real life. I'll tell you why I ask this, yeah? Because mm. I, as I mentioned earlier, I've got 10 years on you, yeah? And even though it doesn't seem like too long, in actual fact, in the creator world, business world, 10 years is a huge amount of time. So even, much has happened, yeah. Even two, two, three years, a lot can change. Even six months, a lot can change. Yeah. Um, so 10 years, a decade is, 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 is quite going some. And I'm in that category where I knew life. I was old enough to know life without social media. Yeah. And I was also, I'm in that category where sort of just about where I knew life really without the internet. It's yeah. a mad thing. You know, there'd be some people that follow you as part of your subscribers and fans. Yeah. And they'll think I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. Right? yeah. Cause I'm talking like this. Yeah. yeah? But <laughs> literally guys and girls, there was life before the internet and also yeah. with social media. So, so I saw it start and I saw it scale and, I, and I, I'm, 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 I've been very aware of the communications and the culture and conversations that people have had during the time it's, it's scaled. Yeah. And I even remember people saying, I don't think they was even calling them influencers back in the day. They were just people with a large following. Yeah. They were like, you know, the comments would be like, oh, they think they're famous. They're not famous. They're not really famous. They're not really famous. Yeah. And even quote unquote, the influencers, some of the influencers during this time, they would even make a post and go, you know, I'm not really famous. I'm just social media famous. Yeah. But then I would say, but break down what fame is. It is a large group of people 
or the public or an audience knowing who the fuck you are. Yeah, being so, known for a certain thing. Yeah, right? so regardless whether you're known from for being a boxer, footballer, playing for Chelsea or England or whether you're a runner or whether you're an actor or yeah. whether you're a YouTuber, surely having 1.45 million, it does kind of make you famous. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess so. I think people have that weird reaction to it, don't they? Because it, it feels like like the the thirst for fame feels like a, a weird thing to pursue ultimately i like making videos and i want loads of people to see them so like indirectly i want more people i want more people to be a fan of my work really mm. but yeah i think i think it's a, a very cool thing and if you're talking about the business side of it as well it, it, the reality is you could have the best product in the world mm. or the best content in the world, but if no one knows who you are and what you're doing, then yeah. therefore no one can consume it. You can't become a successful business person. Yeah. And in Mark, in, in the art world and everything else, it's the same. You kind of got to get an audience, but yeah. equally, caveat at that, you got to get the right audience. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Which uh, resonate with what you're trying to do in your mission and your product. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, I'm in ultimately in the numbers game like yeah. it's all very public it's you know your last video is you know you're you're only as good as your last video your your numbers are all very public whereas in a traditional business sense like people can make a lot of noise and act as if they're doing well it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing well whereas you can sort of tell and if you're in the game you know you know if that person's getting two million views they'll be able to charge xyz for a brand deal and like you sort you can place where people are which i i don't think is necessarily a bad thing but um it, it makes it interesting i don't know many other sort of businesses or industries like that where you can see everything so so clearly and yeah. transparently yeah 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 so um bit of a question that i asked shmi 150 actually mm. the youtube world the influencer world is a bit of a, a mad one because yeah. you are the business yeah yeah effectively yeah shmi is definitely the business effectively he's got shmi 150 the channel and it does super well but you take the main component out of it mm. shmi yeah. You take Zach Allsop out of it. What happens to the channel? Does it die? I don't know. Does that does the business fall, fall away? So then the argument is, and this is not a stab up you or even at me at the time, but it was just uh, an observation by yeah. me. Is it really a business if you have to be in your business the whole entire time? Yeah, I think about that a lot. I, I think about that a lot. It's um, yeah. I suppose it depends on your definition of a, what a business is. And I, I agree to some, your traditional business is like hierarchical where you set up the team to support and that person doesn't need to be, you know, you, your operations are running itself. Whereas, yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast about Mr. Beast and like he is, you know, got hundreds of people working for him. So much pressure on that one guy's head. And, you know, the product is your time like you need to be filming you need to be on camera and you can strip back the rest of the stuff you do but ultimately you are still trading your time for you need to be on camera and that's like i suppose the um the, the hard part about it people i think buy into brands personal brands rather than brands more so like tim cook has way more followers than apple um, and I think that's probably the same for Elon Musk and Tesla. Like people resonate with people. So that makes it easier to build a community and a following of people who are like-minded and, you know, enjoy what you do. But on the flip side, scaling that and 
um, also building building value in that. Like I can't, I don't think I could sell my channel. It's not an asset like a business in that traditional Unless sense. Unless they retained you on. Unless they got me on. Um, but in which case, like, you know, that would probably be a lifetime contract <laughs> until I pop my clog. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just a different kind of business, I suppose. It's in the same way that a quote unquote celebrity is a, they have businesses coming off of them. I think what we're seeing more often these days are influencers setting up their own brands, which can outlive them ultimately. Mm. Mm. And they could probably, you know, sell if they wanted to, or they don't need to be making content to make money. So yeah, it's a roundabout way, but yeah, it's, um, I do think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, what way should I take it? Cause there's a couple of things I'm going to say on that. Mm. Um, there's a, I'll, I'll go left instead, right? <laughs> so, um, so talking about your content then, yeah? So my understanding is you were known for basically, can I use the word break into certain, yeah, yeah. certain environments like concerts or Conor McGregor's, uh, you know, room. Dressing room, dressing room on his 30th birthday. A ra rapper's party, etc. whatever. And then yeah. you've kind of, dovetailed into more pranking yeah I'd, I'd say tasteful tasteful yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's not harmful stuff but it's very jovial there's a lot of banter associated with it but that was when in my head i was like well that's i feel like that's yeah like a funny kind of prank you know which, yeah. which is not harmful but on that note you know i've done a little test even with people here like i said zach Allsop, like what's what's I say that name. Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Oh, yeah. yeah, prankster, prankster, prankster. Right. And I, I, I do it just to to get a reaction. Because I say Mick Condon. Tell me about him. Yeah, he's a, he's a strong fighter. Yeah, you, know, you get a natural reaction out of someone. So therefore, if you're slightly branded that way at the moment, mm. is that a blessing or a curse? Because does that keep you within a certain demographic or a certain? bubble yeah. that might be a little bit difficult to break out of mm. I think so yeah I think so I think ultimately I've built a following doing what I enjoy so I think the lo talking longevity wise I'm there's questions around the longevity do I want to be doing this you know in five years time maybe not but I think so my getting into YouTube it was all about I'm not going to slow build this thing. I can't. I don't have the patience for it. I don't have the money to, you know, try and build a channel over two, three years. It was going to be viral, viral or nothing, basically. So I went for those viral moments. And the sneaking in stuff, like, was genuinely just something I did as a broke student in uni when I wanted to get into a festival or a gig or whatever. And we just, me and my mate Jay just saw what doors it could open. So we were like... I had a passion for video. Well, I was always a kid down the skate park with a camera and, and that sort of stuff. So like merging the two together made a lot of sense. And in doing something pretty wild, but also like relatively harmless, like you said, people, people like that. So the initial hit was like, get a following doing something wild. Um, and then hopefully those people buy into you more as a, as a person and a character and, you know, um, everything else you're about. But I built my first channel up to 150k subs and pretty much all I did was sneak into places and that wasn't that wasn't sustainable. So I was very much in a rut of like 
you know, I need to one up myself every time. Like I did Conor McGregor's like fight with Floyd Mayweather. I was, I walked out with him. I like, as he got announced, I was in his like room, his dressing room with his close friends and family on his 30th birthday when he cut his Irish flag birthday cake. Like I had no right to be there. But then where'd you go after that? Because if you go, you know, if you go to someone else or go to a different event that hasn't got the same amount of hype, like, yeah, your days are numbered. So I made the conscious decision to to set up a new channel with my mate Jay. And from the start, the whole, um, the whole point was just to keep people guessing on the sort of content. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, yeah, what you were touching on is you've got your pillars of content, whether that's like, you sort of harmless pranks. Um, prank is a dirty word on YouTube because of just like the age before, like the early YouTube pranksters were just like knobheads who um, did a lot of, uh, they shot down basically. They were sh- like, the, the, the victim of the prank was like, you know, your normal everyday people. I like to think I'm taking stabs at like the, the fashion world or like sort of corporations. So I feel like that's that's one difference, but um yeah, I still think there's there's a lot of opportunity to to experiment and and still move within my sort of niche, I suppose. And I think it is on the surface general entertainment. I think it's got scope to reach like millions of people. So I don't feel crazily boxed in with everything I do. Like I I did a the reason we got chatting, did a video in the art world, did a video in the fashion world at the start of the year. Did um, recently did a, a video with hackers like sneaking into festivals so it's all quite varied but i think beyond all of that it's just uh the light-hearted cheeky chappy yeah. who just uh wants to have fun guys i wanted to hop on here to once again thank the sponsors of this week's podcast i secure vehicles when we were searching around for sponsors for the channel we honestly wanted to get a brand a company that will give massive amount of value to our audience and that is definitely iSecure vehicles. They have a wide range of products which are designed to keep your vehicle, your asset safe and secure. Some of those products are dash cameras, undetected immobilizers and car tracking systems. Head over to iSecure to look at their products and make sure you say that the Stephen Sully Study podcast sent you there. Clearly, you know, people can um, come away from their current brand or the public's interpretation of that one individual company i mean i think the best person to best couple people to uh say about that 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 particular point is probably ksi and also logan paul and and jake paul yeah i mean jake paul for me he's still called a youtuber right but the reality is he's getting in there with okay call it former fighters mma fighters or former boxers or whatever mm. and he's having a very very good go yeah. and i wouldn't say he's the prettiest boxer to look at as far as his style <laughs> but he can hit and he's been knocking a lot of these people down and out yeah and slowly the whole youtube kind of title is slowly 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 disintegrating so you can you can come away from that and it's yeah. more once a youtuber kind of a youtuber boxer now yeah but slowly will go into well he's a business person i mean jay-z well who, who is jay-z yeah the older generation maybe even a little bit before my time yeah a rapper that's what they would say yeah. but the generation now you he's not a, he's not just a rapper is he he's no, he's, he's a billionaire yeah. who's who's got this fantastic brand around him yeah. including his wife 
and they've, they've got the fingers in multiple different pies. He's not just a rapper. That's where he started, but yeah. he segued into, to, into other things. Yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing the YouTube world, content creation world is, is, is exactly the same thing. I, th- I think you're right. I think we're, so, we're still so early on, on it, YouTube as an industry, right? Like when I was, you mentioned you sort of grew up before the age of the internet and then saw its sort of inception. I was at school just as like, computers were getting introduced into the classroom and so i grew up without a phone was still playing outside and then learned to use it so i think i was one of the first like generations of sort of having that like almost perfect blend it felt where i was 15 when i had my first phone and like nowadays that would be unthinkable to not be that plugged in so um yeah i think the the title of youtube is fine i'm not bothered like i it, i think it's it's like saying, biz, describing everyone as a businessman, right? Like, where do you make your money? Is it in the art world? Is it in oil? Is it like something completely different? Mm. It's, it's not that descriptive. There's people making money out of car content. There's people, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. There's gardener YouTubers. There's every niche you could imagine. So it's a very wide, you know, all-encompassing sort of title. So I don't, I don't mind that at all. Mm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's plenty of scope to to go elsewhere in the future. Like my mate Calix has uh, set up a sneaker brand in the last two years. He's just raised two and a half mil at a 20 mil valuation. And he's wow. been building that company like for two years. He's now, is he now more of an entrepreneur? Cause he's making all his money through shoes. Like it's uh, that people can, people can call me whatever they want. I don't yeah. care. And I'm not, a, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm a businessman right now. I'm, I'm living a very one dimensional life of just making content that's my pure focus i'm i'm locked in but who knows three to five years there may be some opportunities i may have a great idea and i may be an entrepreneur business mogul yeah yeah. but um yeah i think that that stuff can change and there's examples of people rebranding all the time okay so i was a my whole childhood was a was a nerdy gamer and that was all he did and now he's fighting tommy fury in a packed out arena in manchester so yeah. yeah What um, on that note? I mean, um, what what was your? I don't know if you're a boxing fan, but what was your um, what was your your <laughs> view on the KSI Tommy Fury fight? First of all, I will preface this by saying I don't think anyone should care what I have to say about yeah. this because I ain't a fighter. Um, I was I was disappointed to be honest. I I really bought into the hype. Like to KSI, yeah, man. Like I love it. I do love it. It's like a thing. I think it's so like. Um, it's so gladiator vibe. Just like two men in a ring facing off to like settle beef is just like a cool thing. And I think that will always be cool if you've got the right names. I think the undercards were great. There was a few amazing fights. There was. The two main events, man, were just so disappointing. Mm. I expected more from Tommy in boxing. And I expected, um, I don't know what I expected from KSI. He was being an awkward fighter, which is was his game plan, right? Like his game plan was to, to fuck around with Tommy. I would have hoped that... Um, to do loads of star jumps and then try and hit yeah. him. <laughs> that's what people are saying yeah. now, aren't they? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's a win for him though. Like, even though he kicked off after the fight, he still got in there and he did better than Jake Paul, which is really his only true rival. This is where it's all heading for him. So the fact that he didn't... I think Jake Paul lost like on points worse than KSI. It was a closer fight on paper, but it didn't give the fans what they wanted Mm. and I had mates who were there and they said like it was a great event all the way up to the last two and um Dallas versus Paul I don't even want to talk about 
Yeah, that was that was. Mate, what what a master though! Like, he convinced the entire world he was going to go in there swinging, and he did, didn't do any of it. Yeah. And even now, he's on Piers Morgan's show, just like still with untapped confidence. Like, I, I've got to hand it to this guy because the thing is, he on Twitter you would assume he is very much like a Conor McGregor. Yeah, like outspoken bundles of confidence no matter what happens to him or his his environment he always gets the very very best out of it and he's he's an un he's like a irremovable object you know yeah. he's just there he's solid and he's got and but with connor he can he, he can back it up he's got all the accolades did it dennis even i actually quite like him for some weird <laughs> reason he was just he just completely melted in now and but even afterwards, he's acting like he won. It's, it's, mm. it's crazy. But I guess that's, you know, that's the showmanship that you need to have in order to become a big name in that sector and then go on to achieve great things. Because even going back to Conor McGregor, and I want to ask you about how you got into his dressing room and stuff. <laughs> Sounds like, so creepy. Like, yeah. like, um, he's lost majority of his fights in recent years. Yeah. But he's still a massive, massive draw. Probably the biggest draw in UFC. And if he went into boxing again, he would also be a big draw yeah. there because... People are affiliate that name with confidence, a fighter, excitement, etc. And I feel Dylan Dallas, he, he could lose the next two or three fights. But if he maintains his kind of persona, people are always going to spend the money, which is yeah. a mad culture really now. People are, people are, you know, pretty vapid. Like he did some pretty horrible shit in the lead up to, like he was scamming his fans. There was 20 examples of him promoting crypto scams on Twitter, pumping and dumping and like, I don't understand how that is. People aren't like we've got cancel culture over here, and then like this guy who just becomes a lovable like devil basically is just like forgiven for all the all the shit that he's done mm. because it was a battle of like people don't like Logan Paul either. I just find it is fascinating, like and how he can how he can convince the world that that was an even matchup, and I don't think Logan did much either, and he must have been pretty pissed off he didn't knock him out, but. Yeah. It's entertaining all the way to the to the last part, which is the the part which is meant to be the best. Yeah, it's just not talking about convincing the world. Mm. Um, Floyd Mayweather against Conor McGregor. When you say that term, convincing the world, many people bought into, and I wasn't one of them. But I'm a massive, massive Conor McGregor fan. Yeah, and I'd love, love to interview him uh, one day. But I'm also a massive Floyd Mayweather fan, and, and I box myself. And yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm a big boxing fan. It was never, never, never going to happen in my firm opinion. But that confidence and everything around Conor McGregor at the time, a lot of people, some even boxing diehard fans were convinced that he, he really had a chance. Yeah. Why did you pick that particular fight to sneak into Conor McGregor's dressing room? <laughs> and when you were actually in there looking at this notorious fighter, <laughs> how was you feeling? Okay, so the idea was born out of... I, I just spent the whole summer with my mate Jay breaking into every festival imaginable. So this was my like first year into the real world after university and I was just sort of not willing to let it go. Like the whole uni experience, like you're not really in the real world, you're living off government money, you're partying all the time. Um, so we just had a mad summer and we, we just kept pushing, pushing, pushing and got crazier and crazier and crazier with the things that we were doing. By the end of the summer... 2016 Rio Olympics had happened and the Britain sort of like Team GB were having a homecoming parade in Manchester. My mate Jay's from Manchester and he's a bit of a bit of a hustler. He was like, why don't we go like 
sell flags, do a bit of face painting, make some money. Like just, we could probably make a grand in a day sort of thing. And, and I was like, I reckon we could get a viral vid. I was like, why don't we just pretend to be Olympians and try and get onto the buses with them? So we did that. And long story short, it went crazy. Like we, we bought replica tracksuits, we bought fake medals off of eBay and we were being paraded around on the buses, convinced all the other members that we were like, you know, some athletes that they'd never heard of or didn't know. Um, that went pretty viral in the mainstream press, front pages of like a lot of the big newspapers um, and it went mental. But by the time I turned around the video, it was yesterday's news. So that video didn't hit what I thought it was, I thought it was gonna make my career. So that didn't hit and I was on the search. I was like, what what can be bigger than, you know, the, the Olympics? And I don't know if you remember much about the lead up to that fight, but the they did a world tour for they press did. and it was, you couldn't escape it. On every platform, it was just like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of views, just like McGregor, just an absolute masterclass of like shit talk. And it was actually, um, it was actually Jay, like Jay texted me saying like, Mayweather McGregor's come to London this weekend, like you need to go. Like he was a bit out of the game because he was running a, a tech company at the time. And um, after all the Olympic pick stuff came out in the press, he got, he basically got like a lot of his investors and um, mentors like were pretty pissed off that he did that so publicly. So he was like, go do it by yourself, have fun and see what happens. So I, I was moving uh, moving to London like the the month after. Mm. So I drove off in my van um, with a suit and with two photoshopped passes. One was a AAA, one was a press pass. And uh, I didn't know didn't know what was gonna unlock what door, but you know, AAA should do the trick. But I went in with a camera and I looked more like press. I don't look like a guy who was, uh, especially like I was a lot younger back then. I don't- So, so you had uh, a film guy with you? No, all me. So solo mission, yeah. So, wow. um, uh, so yeah, I rock up to Wembley uh, SSE Arena and it was honestly one of the easiest break-ins I've ever done. So I'm, I'm in a suit with a camera. I've got a, uh, a press pass around my neck and it looks pretty fucking legit. Like I've done a decent job on Photoshop. Um, and I, I guess the size, it looked about the right size. I saw a couple of legit ones floating around. So I was like, I'll give it a go. I'm looking for like a backstage entrance door. And um, I, I, I see somebody sort of make their way off to the right-hand side and go for a door. So I'm like, right, I'll just try that. I um, yeah, bust through the door and this big long corridor, which looks like it takes you all the way backstage, just like is right in front of me. I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is it. This is how I get, get in. But halfway down the corridor was a security guard and it was too late to turn around. But I was like sort of fight or flight. I was like, Shh, everything in me was like, turn around, like the fuck are you doing? Um, I just like somehow just start walking towards him and I'm like, right, I really need to be overconfident here as if I'm like, act like you belongs the sort of, the tagline for all of this shit. You, you have to act like you're meant to be there. So um, I go up to him, I dap him up. I'm like, yes, lad, how's your night been? Like, you, you okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, all good. He's like, you've got the wrong pass though. Uh, you're not allowed to be down here. I'm like, oh shit, right, okay. But I knew I had the other one in my pocket. And I was like, oh, no worries. I think I've got given the wrong pass. Um, and he was like, oh, that's cool. Just like, if you get the right pass, come back down and come see me. So I, I basically just walked back down the corridor, go into the toilet, um, 
switch the passes and then go straight back down. I'm like, mate, you were completely right. I got the wrong pass. Um, they give me the right one now and just put the triple A one on. And he was just, he was, he was in my back pocket the whole night. I, I bought him drinks. I was taking care of him. I was like, like kept, I kept having to walk by him to get into the backstage bit. But once I had him, he was the only person in, in between me and the backstage bit. So I arrived like two, three hours early. It was just soaking up the atmosphere. Um, and then as it got closer and closer to showtime, I uh, I was like, how do I make this video like even better? Like you want that big moment, that big sort of crescendo at the end. I just thought if I could walk out with McGregor being like a McGregor fan, it would just be so fucking good. The whole crowd was like in favor of McGregor. There's loads of Irish who had come over. And I just um, somehow just timed it perfectly. Like I, I was in the corridor just as like they walked out of their room. So I paced it behind him and just sort of locked in with their entourage. So there's about like nine of us all walking towards the stage. And literally as the curtains part, the, the guy on the mic's like, the notorious, got him. And I'm just like seeing this sea of people, the lights, everything. And I'm just there with my camera, just like this far away from his face, like filming him and just, uh, I must've just looked like I was meant to be there. So That's it was that moment I was like, this has got to be, I didn't want to like, you know, over overdo it, overthink it. But I was like, this has to be, this is just fucking mental what I managed to just do. Um, and yeah, just spent the whole rest of the evening. Then, you know, the only security guard that was going to be an issue knew me on a first name basis at that point. So I, yeah, I walked into his, um, dressing room it was his 30th birthday that night and all of his family came to the dressing room they cut this like ireland flag cake and i was just there like what the fuck I'm like, why is no one asking why i'm meant to be here i was just filming the whole thing on my camera so that was that and yeah that video did two million views in like the first month which was just crazy for me at the time got me like a whole chunk of subscribers got me a load of press from like uh lad bible uni lad all of those sort of big online publishers and then that was like the start to my entire YouTube career. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so shout out Conor McGregor for yeah, <laughs> starting yeah. my career. Yeah. So I remember, if I m remember rightly, 2017 that was. Yeah. And in the O2, as part of their tour, there was actually in a boxing ring for that one. Yeah. Doing the talk. Yeah. Mayweather at the time hadn't had his hair transplant. He was still bald. <laughs> but he had a, a stripy, like, leopard almost mm. type, type of, say, no, tiger. Like a knit. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Chain, diamond chain on the, and that was when he, he had the million dollar Hublot one. Right. Because that's when he said to Conor McGregor, oh, that's cute. That's 20, 30 grand. Yeah, this yeah. is a million. And I remember that one. I remember that particular one yeah. so vividly. Yeah. Did you get to meet or was you in the presence of Floyd Mayweather at the time as well? Um, no, and I didn't want to be. I, I felt very much like the video was going to perform if I, the whole narrative was about like picking sides. Okay. And, but yeah, I just did. I didn't. And funnily enough, I got the pictures of the passes because Floyd Mayweather's driver put them all on Instagram. So the only reason why I was able to do that was Floyd's team leaked the fucking passes online. Right. And uh, it was his driver. I think he had like 300 followers and I somehow found it. And um, yeah, so I, I felt like um, after, after that video went out, he probably got a stern word and talking when, to. When you was in the uh, the changing room with Conor McGregor and his team, 
what was he like as an individual? Because he's he's full of energy and he's larger than life type of character. What was it like being in his room? It was just calm, cool, calm, collected. Yeah, I I remember like, I I thought I was going to be like worried. Like you're in there with a trained assassin sort of thing. And if, if they out me as like a, you know, who the fuck are you sort of thing. I didn't have anything prepared. Like I was just sort of, in there just awaiting my fate sort of thing um but yeah he did one one media interview everyone left and then it was just like chilling they cut the cake they, they were just chatting and and i didn't get I, I wasn't i was a different person back then i feel like i was willing to do go to those lames but i wasn't nowhere near as confident or like I, I didn't hold myself in that way um so i did actually wait for the whole press thing at the end where he was um sort of going down the line and speaking to the press and stuff. And I was, I had one question prepared for him. That was like the aim of the video. And it was, fuck, it was dumb coming to think of it. But it was, would you rather fight 20 duck-sized Mayweathers or one, one Mayweather-sized duck? I think that was the question I had fucking prepared for him. Right. Um, and uh, he got to me at the end and he gave me some eye contact and I fucking, I'd, I'd waited for like a second. I went, and then he walked off. Oh. So that was my one big regret. Oh. I, I regret that so much because that is like the ending of the video where he's like, I don't know whether he would have answered it or not, he would have remembered it. And I think that would have probably uh, probably made it more viral. But I'd like to think now I would, but back then I was just so in over my head. I was just like, that was the one bit I was pissed off about. Bit choked off on it. I bitched out, yeah. fully bitched out. But you come face to face with someone who's such a character and such a brand like you say he's just like you've just watched him like run rings around Mayweather for a whole evening and he just seems invincible like it just it was my first experience of that I was like yeah but for me and this is sort of last thing I'll say on like the whole Conor McGregor thing but for me back then 2017 and probably the following year as as a fighter not as Mm. a business person not as a brand but as a fighter as this charismatic kind of uber confident kind of guy yeah that was in my mind the pinnacle of his his personality untouchable now did he have the double title then yeah double title title because he came out with both of them in in the fight he had lost against Nate Diaz once yeah um, and he had lost had he lost someone else well anyway I mean he was he was so confident I mean literally he could he could say anything and pull it off yeah but I feel like now the business side of it, I'm not saying that he's still a great fighter, but I don't know, I feel like that side is probably probably taken off a bit more. This is a question that is, uh, and this is a conversation, this next part, which is I'm experiencing now being a father. Yeah. Okay. So I've got two boys. I've got Mason, five years of age, yeah. almost in a couple of weeks. And I've got Logan, who's two years of age. And now I'm really understanding kind of from their point of view, what an influencer or being influenced really is. Okay, interesting. Which from a different from a different kind of perspective. Yeah. I get it from like, you know, if I'm following someone, like Conor McGregor, like yeah. if I want to buy the Beats by Dre earphones with the Irish flag on there, yeah. me being partly Irish, me loving Conor McGregor and me loving MMA or boxing, yeah. I would gravitate towards that product because it makes sense and he's influenced me to do it. Yeah. Fine. But this other side, which I'm growing, growing it like as I'm as I'm as I'm growing older, and my kids are growing older, I'm now seeing it more and more and more. I tell you what I mean. So, 
Mason sits down, watches, and the overtime has gone from like Peppa Pig to Paw Patrol. Yeah. Now it's on Lord and Mickey. Lord and Nikki. Is this YouTubers? Yeah, these are YouTubers. Two kids. Okay. Is that, oh, okay. Yeah. Lord okay. Of, and, and they've got, I think they've got like 32 million subscribers. Sad ridiculous. thing is, they're making more money than me. They're making, <laughs> honestly, I was, I was so blown away. And there's, there's a few different kind of similar sort of personalities within that field. Young, yeah. young, young kids, young, yeah. young teenagers who are cultivating these videos and they've got such a young audience. And, I noticed that Mason started getting influenced because of the language he started using. And at first I couldn't work out where he was getting it from. Right. He started saying stuff like candy. And I'm like, Oh no. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm from South London and we do not say candy. That's, yeah. not, that's not often like garbage. You don't say garbage, no. you say rubbish. We say sweets. Yeah, yeah. Then what else was he saying? He's saying stuff like, um, <laughs> there was a few other words and I think, oh my God, where's this coming from? And then I realized it was from this Lord and, Lord and Nicky, I think they yeah. called it. And as a YouTuber, content creator, and let's call it inadvertently an influencer, as you grow older, Zach, are you more aware more than ever that there are people that you are influencing for the good or maybe worse? I think so, yeah. I think um, I, would, I would say I don't think anyone should do the stuff that I do. I, I don't think I, um, I don't think I necessarily want people to look up to me in that way or hold me to a high standard should I say that's not why I got into this I, like it was a relatively selfish pursuit I didn't want to influence anyone I just wanted to make money doing what I love doing and didn't have to answer to anyone like that was the the bare bones of why I started and there was a passion for video in there as well but um yeah man like I, I think like there's definitely consideration and I think just more, more me personally I want to be proud of what I put out and mm. there's a certain amount of like legacy that's involved with that and looking back on what I've created and being being happy that I didn't do it for you know just like what I'd regard as shit reasons like I'm sure I'm I'm making my job way harder for myself at the 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 quality and that I hold myself to so you know, I make one video a month. If I made three more videos a month, I'd triple my income. But like, I, I, I can't physically do that to the same standard that I'm, I'm putting out at the minute. So um, I'd say I'd do it for me first. And then outside of that, I think like as part of that comes with wanting it to all be, um, wanting it all to be like not being a dickhead. I think that's one of my fundamental laws is, is D-bad, don't be a dickhead. And that comes, you know, like you said earlier, there's no shooting down with the pranks. It's sort of like, it's all relatively wholesome. There's good vibes that come from it. So I think that's one thing, but I think what I, had, I didn't appreciate going into it is that people, you know, I get DMs from people saying, you know, you've really inspired me to, you know, have a go at my own thing or like maybe they're in a job they hate and they're taking a leap of faith. I think like you, there is a level of aspiration that's involved. Like I've went out and I've managed to, you know, with a bit of luck and good timing and, you know, all the other stuff that goes along with it, create a, a life for myself that I dreamt of six years ago. Yeah. And I think that that is aspirational to people. There's people in the same boat that I was in, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe fresh out of university, don't know what the fuck they're doing with their lives. And, and, um, and yeah, like you said, this is more and more popular. It seems more and more realistic for people to get into. So, yeah, it definitely plays on my mind. And I don't want to be influencing people to do bad shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, 
and I have influenced people to sneak into festivals, which I think is no harm, no foul. These these places make shit tons of money. They're charging you 200 quid a ticket if you can't afford it, if I can break in. It's sold out anyway. But um, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't say it's my primary, you know, I don't, I don't put it through that filter until a bit later on. Yeah, because again, I agree with the, 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 the content that you create. I feel like it's funny and I feel like it has a st- like especially the fashion world one which we'll get onto <laughs> later on I mean it takes a stab at these big corporations and you can kind of mock them but they actually they're actually not well aware they're being mocked and they kind of embrace it at the same time it's, it's, it's a crazy yeah. paradox and psychology behind it but there are people within the YouTube content world where like even I've fallen into a trap of it being a podcaster where I'm trying to interview people that I actually really kind of feel like I like their brand, their content, um, and I feel like I can have a thoughtful conversation. You'll notice that most of my probably questions at the moment haven't actually really been about your 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 content, which could be quite an easy win maybe for me to yeah. get to get scalability. I just like the psychology behind what you do, like the yeah, business yeah. side, and how you're going to pivot away from Zach Alsop, the 28-year-old, a YouTuber with one point let's call it 1.5 because I keep on saying 1.5 million <laughs> subscribers into this businessman maybe later on that's where I like to take the conversation yeah but there are young people looking at there will be obviously people looking at you but there may be people a little bit more edgier than you who are pushing the boundaries a bit more which yeah. I think you touched on earlier about they're doing the pranks and they're not caring, caring about the repercussions they're out there to get the viral recognition and to yeah. get the hits and if i if i just break that down to what i'm trying to say is there was a, a an era of happy slapping right yeah oh shit. where people were randomly going onto a bus or a train yeah and slapping someone yeah and sometimes they were kind of vulnerable person yeah, yeah. and it was like i actually was getting angry by it it was like yeah. how dare these people i was in just school that? and that was happening and, and i'm like and 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 i guess it was maybe too demonstrate to their peer group how much confidence and bottle they had and how tough they were yeah but then it started to turn into this whole kind of youtube monetization thing and it's basically where do they draw a line with it all clout's a dangerous drug man and there's still examples of that today right you've got tiktok has lowered the bar for entry for you just need an iphone and a willingness to do something stupid and you'll go viral is whether you're proud of what you've created but me and jay when we started our like the zach and jay show together we we said like we could go viral tomorrow. We fucking strip off naked and run through Oxford Circus. Someone would take a photo of that. It would get millions of views. But do I want to be the bloke who did that? Nah. But I, th- I think people struggle and they are blinded by the upshot of getting followers. And it seems like this, you know, it seems like this shiny world over there to have clout and this and that. And it it jades their judgment like exactly. But people were doing that before the inception of these platforms like that was going viral on bluetooth like filming on your sony ericsson and sending it around the school so i think it's um humans probably f- fundamentally crave a bit of attention i think like you want to feel accepted in the pack that's quite like a fundamental sort yeah. of trait and i think that level of approval whether it's warranted or not can be quite addictive for people well is you know look at the platforms now being verified right before yeah. you were getting verified very few people because you were doing something that they recognize you as a person bringing value or yeah. iconic within your field you get a blue tick mm. people are like wow that's a badge of honor yeah now then they were giving it out left right and center and oh, now <laughs> now you can pay for it yeah 
you know and and people will pay it because it's the perception that they are verified in what they do and i yeah. get it i totally get it like I, and i can see them i can see how people are pulled into it and recognition being verified validation yeah is all a drug as you mentioned that people seek i mean in the art world right you know part of the reason why you you moved to we used to be in soho and we had a lot of successful years five six years you say soho or you say mayfair mm. that perception is totally different and it's yeah. it's like a badge of honor again yeah i work in mayfair i've got a gallery mm. in mayfair it's it's the, the 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 kind of perception behind behind everything behind the oh brand. yeah definitely and I, I don't think there's ever been a more profitable time to be controversial like you can cash in on that shit mm. and you can you can flip like you can completely 180 and people seem to forget like things move so fast and people do just forget like logan paul filmed a dead body and you know whether that's a genuine mistake or not the guy is like at the top of his game with a with a brand that's probably going to be worth billions in a couple of years time and people don't you know, people forget quite easily. So I, I think like Conor McGregor was a controversial head with just like the stuff he was saying. I don't think it was particularly, um, I, don't, I don't think in a bad way, but he riled people up. Floyd Mayweather did that his entire career. I think you're seeing that now on social media. People that, um, like the Nelk boys are, are like sort of an American group who I'd say like, they do prank. Uh, they do stuff I wouldn't do. It's quite edgy. Like one of their early sort of big videos was going across the Mexican border, um, and when they were getting stopped by border control, they were pretending. They were saying, "Shit, have you hid the coke?" And they had just like a thousand coke cans in the back of their boot. But they made the officers think that they were smuggling coke, and they, they got held at gunpoint and shit like that. So, but they flipped that into you know a successful brand, and they found their feet a bit more. And, and now they they own a, a hard seltzer like called happy dad and you know they're, they're going to be future like maybe billionaires with, with moves like that but they've pivoted from being you know really not brand safe youtube have not like monetized them so they make no money from the platform but they've turned that into like a real captive audience who you know buy into what they do and they've they've created like successful clothing companies now an alcohol brand and they've they've smashed it yeah. what they've wanted to achieve so yeah yeah, I think you can you can flip it anytime you want. Yeah, I, I definitely agree agree on that. I, I think it becomes harder when you've got a bit of a stigma attached to your name. Yeah. But like anything, if you pursue something for long enough and you're doing all the right moves, eventually you can sh sh shift that shift that paradigm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier, which I logged, and I'm going to come back to, and you touched on it just then. I think initially when you go into something, podcast, YouTube, etc., mm. content creation, it is about the content creation and, and just following a bit of a passion. But when you stick out long enough, there has to be a business element attached to it really, unless you've already got loads of dough and you don't actually need yeah. to make any money off it. And you mentioned <laughs> earlier about, you know, it's, it's now a business at your platform. At what moment did you decide to make your channel a business? And how do you actually really monetize that business now? I mm. understand it's hits from YouTube. Yeah. It's, brand endorsement deals and i guess which i think you haven't done yet but maybe in the pipeline releasing your own product am i right yeah so yeah so my business is pretty like one-dimensional like i said earlier it's sort of um my primary focus is on the content and getting that to a point building a team around that so that it is like 
seamless and we're creating the, some of the best videos on the internet consistently and we're unfuckwittable in that position like we want to get to a position of comfort within that sort of niche but um yeah you've got you know you can monetize off views on the platform so like youtube pay the arrangement with youtube's 50 50 so um they obviously provide you the platform which has like billions of watch time every day and then it's your job to game that system get as many of those views as you can and that turns into money for you and youtube so selling that advertising space i think that's that's fine that we never really relied on that as a company up until well we don't we don't rely on it but now it's getting to the point where it's actually substantial every month because the views are getting there so that's one thing um the second one's brand sponsorships that's quite an easy one but it's a bit of a necessary evil in the game i think nobody likes you know getting served an ad um the challenge is just coming up with a creative idea and getting working with brands that you, you like, but B are also open to sort of being a bit self-aware and, you know, not having you sc like speak a script to camera because people are just going to drop off. So um, that's where I'd say 70% of our money comes from is the brand sponsorship. So one per video, uh, you get 60 seconds in that and it's our job to make that as entertaining as possible for the audience to make sure that it's giving them a bit of value as well. Um, and then the rest of it is just sort of miscellaneous, whether that's like a day shoot for a brand, um, appearing in somebody else's content. Um, you've got like, I do some sort of speaking gigs, like do, I don't do any keynotes because I, I don't think of myself in that way, but it, like panel sessions. Um, I've been asked to go into like sort of big agencies and sort of, you know, teach them a little bit about YouTube. So there's three main sort of pillars. Like you said, the, the business side is where I think, um, where I see everyone sort of trying to not cash in, but just build equity um, in the future. You've got the sidemen of the UK who are killing it and they've, they've launched a vodka brand, a subscription platform. They've got sides, which is now moving into like physical retail spaces. That's a food brand. Um, they've released a card game. So they are like, you know, e even if two of those brands survive and they've got longevity, they're like, they're either going to get bought out by a competitor in, in five years time or they'll have something that's worth you know tens if not hundreds of millions and start eating away at market share with uh with other vodka brands so i think that's that's where you want to be looking at and for me at the minute like honestly it's not clear what that will be but i just think there's so much so much left to explore with the content and just the content only and i'm not in it for short-term gains i don't care about creating a, a 10 million pound brand right now i care about making the best content on the internet becoming certified in that way um and then you know from there the world to be my oyster and i'm hoping i'll get clarity on that in in three years so so um something there's only two more things i really want to kind of cover and they'll be quick and then we can wrap up the podcast uh, Zach. but he, he, here's here's what i want to ask you I listened to a podcast of you earlier mm. and it was a conversation that I had off air with you and yeah. it was a conversation I've had with the company who helped do my podcast and my YouTube and stuff, which is about thumbnails. Yeah. Now you've got to remember, I'm a almost 38 year old <laughs> and some of your audience, as I mentioned earlier, are going to regard me as being a bit of a dinosaur. <laughs> and I didn't even know what a thumbnail was. Yeah. Even a few years into my podcast journey, I was just a guy having a chat with people. Yeah. And then obviously over time, you start to learn the different lingos and different things and 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 how important some things are and how not important other, other things are. Yeah. And um, 
thumbnails, just changing them from one one look and one saying to another. How important are thumbnails for your for your content? Listen here. Thumbnails are one of the most important things to get any sort of traction. I, th I think I was the same though, like two years into YouTube, we just, we didn't plan anything. We just would, would shoot the video and 20 minutes, half an hour before upload, we'd be like, shit, what are we gonna put as the fucking billboard to try and get thousands of people to choose to click on this with mm. their time like they're investing time in your video and what you've created so we wasn't giving our videos the justice it deserved and sometimes we accidentally made a good one and the video would perform but we wasn't aware why it was performing and so we had a mate Nicole Milano who who was just like guys you need you're fucking up you're leaving so much views on the table because um, you just your thumbnails are terrible. They're just like not telling the story you want to tell. They're not enticing. They're not giving people curiosity to want to click and find out the answer. So, um, yeah, thumbnails are, are literally in the it's idea first, and that's like with your process, your brainstorm is the idea. You try and come up with a hundred ideas, um, and for every hundred, you probably have one good one, and then you try and disseminate that into a title and thumbnail combination that'll work. Um, for me, it's like what I found is what works is like, hey, have my face because you've got that brand recognition. Um, you obviously build over time and you've got your audience that return back. So that's getting those viewers. Um, but then I like doing in situ sort of in action thumbnails. So a lot of them you'll see is, um, so for example, one is I took farm animals to pet friendly hotels to see if they'd let me in. Um, the thumbnail for that was me at a check-in desk of a hotel with um, two staff members behind the thing and I had a pig on a leash. Now, we went out on a full day shoot just to capture that image. We went into some of the nicest hotels all throughout London and we were going in saying, like telling them lies basically because they wouldn't let us take photos otherwise. We were just saying, oh, my parents met here. We're recreating this photo they took here 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, can you pose with us? And it's basically me, my dog, we were telling them because I had to pretend to have a pig on a leash. Um, and basically look at the dog as if you're confused and, and people are nice, like human nature is like lovely. And they were like, oh yeah, it sounds amazing, let's do it. So I was getting people, staff from these hotels to pose with me in these thumbnails, um, just so it looked like to the audience, I've walked in a hotel with a pig um, and they're confused as fuck as to why I'm there. So that to an audience is like, oh my God, I need to click on that to see their reaction. Like they look like, I had one guy pick up the phone at the reception. And I knew that that would, um, that would make people think he's on the phone to the police or something like that. So it's all about creating curiosity um, and they need to click ultimately to, to find out what happened. And then the hope with the, the first 30 seconds is to then engage them for the rest of it. So I think for podcasts, it's slightly different. I'd say you're more building a brand look and feel. Um, but I'd say, yeah, you need to, experiment man like find a find a color scheme find a find a font find a um like you've got a very interesting space you have something to offer that's different to other podcasters we're sat in a room which is worth more than me you know with the art that's on the walls so like it, there has to be some i i feel like you could you could differentiate with the art sort of angle as well being who you are and your personal brand um i think your face is always of value in the thumbnails because you're going to build that audience who come back um but I'd look at what, what um, Stephen Bartlett's doing. Mm. The CEO is killing it. Like mm. they are one of the fastest growing platforms. Like um, 
podcasts on the platform and he's got a very well-educated team on all of that stuff but he's um he's killing it there mm. so yeah thumbnails man if you are in a sea of people who are all being like look at my content look at my content everyone's spent money time effort you know if you don't give it that one chance to appeal to people then why should they click yeah un understood and last of all just i know you just touched on it now like your 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 content today so spoke about earlier i think your most viewed video on youtube has been the we faked a model to the top of fashion week and that was four years ago 32 yeah. million and it was actually a guy called max who was fake being the fashion model and i've yeah. got to say he pulled it off oh really he, really well i mean he, <laughs> he he was stung he was like a stereotypical yeah um fashion uh model and he had no expression at all and you could you could have taped a microphone to his chest and it, it, that would have been fashionable and yeah. and it was great but then fast forward the clock some some of the other stuff that you've done like snake in the in the in the uber car and i think you took a, a fox over yeah. to over to a, a hotel and you were trying to say it was just a dog like yeah. a special special dog <laughs> like how do you come up with the ideas to yeah. stay consistent with the message that you're putting out to your audience that's our biggest struggle i think like i'm in a so i the my channel was a shared channel it was the zach and jay show for three years we built built that as a brand as a partnership as a duo um so i think people knew what that was it's very easy to understand and i think people buy into characters they buy into that cartoonization of who that human is and for me it was it was me and jay two best mates on a mission to go out and live life while they're still young do you know what i mean fuck around like not take life too seriously and when he left like to pursue other things i was then in a position like well who the fuck am i without jay do you know what I mean? it's like ant without deck it just feels a bit weird mm. um so uh so yeah i sort of went through a whole transformation i'd say i was trying to figure it out and i i was making videos with other people i got my mate um hardest geezer tied him in to a few vids and people like that and i just realized that it's not that much different to be honest i'm still the same person that was coming up with the ideas back then um a lot of it's just founded in this robin hood effect i like to call it like it's sort of with the fashion world it's like you're not stealing from the rich, but you're, there's this world which has all these preconceived ideas about it. And I think people bought into that because we were just sort of exposing it for what it is. And I like fashion. Like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm into fashion, but I was trying to, you know, be representative of what most people think and feel about it. And I do think it's a little bit silly. And I think people just like seeing, a, seeing that world sort of open up a little bit. Mm. So the same with the, the Uber one, like Uber released a pet-friendly policy they didn't specify that you can't take anything. They said pets. So who's to say what a pet is? I, I just like testing the limits and finding the sort of- uh, And the pet friendly area. hotel, right? Didn't you turn up with a donkey and also- Turn up with a donkey. A fox. With a fox, with a pig. Did um, you get the fox in? The fox got in and I paid stupidly. It was a five-star hotel down in Oxford. I paid 300 quid on the spot because I was like, if there's a shot of me actually getting into the room, that's fucking hilarious. So on the spot, paid 300 quid and was like, is this worth it for the shot? I'm so glad we got it because we got a shot of me and the fox sharing a bed just in this swanky hotel. So um, how did you get a fox? There's a, we, we know a guy. There's an animal guy called Trevor who was uh, the Joe Exotic of the UK. He, right. was, he works with like films and TV and all that stuff. So he's... Um, he's provided us a lot of animals with like, you know, they're animal actors. They have to be tame and used to being on camera and on sets and they're all super chilled and 
like I wouldn't feel good about doing that video if I felt like I was exploiting the animal. So yeah, yeah. yeah we were like feeding it the fox just like dog treats and it was just chilling. So uh, interesting stuff. Listen, um, I'm very aware of your time. I'd like to do a podcast part two in the future. I'd like Absolutely. to stay connected with you, bro. Thank you very much. I've got one more question. Yes. When I set up my first ever company when I was younger, I came up with a mantra because yeah. I'm in sales. So in order to keep salespeople, predominantly men, in check, you kind of have to create this culture where it's about focus, it's about discipline, it's mm. about selling, it's about you know being the best version of yourself. And the mantra goes like this, be happy, never content. Mm. If I was to ask Zach Allsop, what does, what does be happy, never content mean to you? happy never content I think it's like the pursuit of two things it's like the pursuit of happiness which is like everyone's aiming for that but I don't think they're really aiming for that I think beyond happiness is fulfillment mm. and if you have aspirations to to do anything in life I think everyone has aspirations they have a passion they have something that they're they're calling is I think that's the pursuit beyond the sort of surface level happiness that like gives life meaning and purpose so for me that resonates because it's like i got into youtube because i knew it would make me happy but then i'm not happy with where i'm at it's that constant striving and i think that's what makes life exciting definitely so i like that good good interpretation thank you very much uh, mate for your time be happy never content make sure you're subscribing and thank you once again zach cheers nice one, mate. it's been an honor